With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, 1 Samuel 10. We finished up 9. That was our real quickie. Told you we could cover that in about 3 minutes. So some chapters take, take a week to cover and others we can do in, in 5 minutes or less. It is absolutely amazing. So we're building up now because the Israelites have said we want a king. And God said all along, no. Israelites said, we demand a king. And not only do we want a king, we want a king now. Immediately. Not like, let's get on your time frame, God, but we want you to know that sooner or later we want a king. And I pointed out last week that uh, there's four passages in the Old Testament that clearly demonstrate that God did, in fact, intend eventually to have a king. I mean, that was part of the plan. But he knew when they would be ready. He's saying, now you're not ready. Because you can see why they want it. They want it for one reason, one reason, or we want to be like the other nations. So they have one criteria for their, their, their uh, need for this. And there's only one criteria for who they select. The tallest guy in the, in the country. <laughs> that's it. Right? That's, the, that's the only thing. So God, we don't need you now. We will take care of this. We are so smart. See how smart we are. We, we, we will pick a king, the guy who will rule us, because he's tall. That's it. No other criteria is, is, is on the table. So God says, all right, I'm going to let you have what you want. So through all this, now keep in mind that God, God told Samuel the day before, this is who the people are going to pick. But this is not God saying, this is who I want. God is simply confirming, I am letting them do what they want. And did you ever experience that with any of your children? Uh, they're usually not all that way. But you, sh you should have figured out, if the first one was real easy, you better get yourself a, 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 a helmet <laughs> and some shoulder pads and, and be ready to go to battle because the next one is, is always the opposite of the first. And, you know, there's always one of, one of the kids that, that is rebellious like that, that, that always kind of like the prodigal son. Give me my inheritance now. I'm going to go and, and, and live life now. I'm not going to wait till you die. So the, the Israelites are acting like that with God. They are simply saying, we... We want what we want what we want it. Give it to us. And God says, okay, I'm not going not to talk you out of this. Go ahead. I'm not sanctioning this. I'm not endorsing this. I'm not blessing this. But I am simply giving it to you. And I know who you're going to pick. So I'll go along with it. Because I'm not going to change your mind. So there's a big difference. Now, you'll, we'll see that difference when it comes to David. David will have a drug hand in, the, in the, the David selection. But here with Saul... It's like God's just feels, you know, he's, he's suggesting that you, know, you push me up against the wall, fine. You guys go ahead and do your own thing. Now again, if God does that back then, and we can see a thousand other examples of it throughout biblical history, we should absolutely know today, and this is the most important thing I want you to pick from this study, is we should absolutely know that God will do the same with us today. We're not special. You're not that important. For God to change his mind and change all of history just for you. 
This is what he does. So if any of us individually and we as a nation do that to God, say that. We're too smart. We don't need you. Please go stand in the corner. We will take care of things from now. God will do the same. He knows what we're going to do, but he's not making it happen. He's not blessing us in that sense. So remember the in Romans 1, it says you know, the wrath of God is, is being revealed to, to all humanity. Now that's not fire and brimstone and that's not lightning bolts. It's simply God allowing us to go, giving us enough rope to go hang ourselves. That's how God operates. When we say we want to do it, God says, fine, go do it. Now, in this particular case, why God is so upset with them is because he told Samuel to tell the people, if you go with this king, and I know who you're going to pick, this is what's going to happen. He's going to take your, your, your sons to battle, and they'll die. He's going to take your daughters and make them slaves in, 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 his, in his castle, in his palace. Uh, he's going to take the best of, of your crops. He's going to take the best of your livestock. He's going to take, he's going to take, he's going to take. And then when there's nothing else to take, he will make you his slaves. That's what's going to happen. The Lord God has spoken. And the people respond with, yep, sounds like the best plan ever, sign me up. <laughs> right? And that's why God's saying, okay, fine. You know what you're getting yourself into, but trust me, when you come crying for help, I ain't helping. Because I've told you exactly what's going to happen. Other occasions when you've done it out of ignorance, sure enough, when you, as soon as you cry for help, I am right there lickety split. But this time, I, I'm not doing it. Yeah, you, you are shooting yourself in the foot and I'll give you the bullet. That's how God works, has worked, is working, will continue to work. So we need to be aware of that. So we need to see in this, you know, this is talking about the nation, but I, I, I want us to look at this on the individual basis. I want, rather than saying the Israelites, I want you to say Kais, right? I want you to say Lois, I want you to say Kenny, I want you to say me, if I do this, this is what will happen to me. Jeff, I think it looks like an awful, awful thin line it, it's, between God choosing and God okaying. It is. When you read, uh, yep. to read this, I know what you told us. Right. But the whole time I'm reading it, it sounds like God's anointing this guy. It's okay. He's... He's giving the permission, and it is necessary then to do the actual consecration. So, it, think of it this way. It, it's grudgingly. God is grudgingly doing this. Not willfully, not, not yeah, this is a really good plan. Uh, the, the same is true with, uh, go back to Pharaoh. All right? Ten plagues. Exactly five plagues say that Pharaoh hardened his heart. And exactly five plagues say that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Now all ten Pharaoh hardened his own heart. The five that says God did it is simply God giving him permission to harden his heart. So he's, he's not telling him to do it. He's not making him harden his heart. He's simply allowing him to do it. And this is the course of action. And God will not stop it. You see, that, that's the, the struggle we have. Because we, we think that, we would like it to be, God, when we get in trouble, we expect you to reach down and pick us up and, and fix us. But what God is saying, it, it is your decisions that have gotten you to this point. 
So I am not going to save you in that regard. I'm not, I'm not going to prevent that, from, that bad thing from happening to you because you have made bad decisions. Hopefully the making the bad decisions and suffering the consequence will then remind you the next time, why don't you come to me first and check? <laughs> right? Why don't we have a conversation before you go and do your own thing and then, and then watch this and then expect me to, to bless it? See, churches are notorious at that. Yeah, we'll get in our meetings and we'll you know, come up with great ideas and, and we will decide to do things and go with the plan, do whatever we want to do, and then halfway through, three quarters of the way, or even after the process is done, say, oh Lord, would, would, would you bless what I have done? Then the answer is always no. <laughs> because we, we you know, routed ourselves around God rather than working with God. See, that, that's the issue. So when we decide to do that, God says, okay, fine, go and do it. You know, if, if I stop you, that makes you a puppet. It takes away your free will. So you have free will. I'm just hoping you will learn from this. And that's why God is always ready to receive the Israelites back because he is graceful and patient and all this. And so he lets us go. And then let's go back to our discussion several weeks ago about repentance. Remember all the time we spent on repentance. Yeah, he's waiting for us to repent. When we repent, sure enough, open arms, ready. So, but God is not going to say, yeah, when they realize how bad Saul is, God is not going to say, okay, I'm glad you learned a lesson. Now let's go back to the way it, it used to be. Let's get rid of the kings altogether, and I will be your king again. So God's not going to do that. This was your decision. This is the consequence. So the wrath of God is upon you when you go your own way. Because literally you are hanging yourself. And if you're not smart enough to realize it, then God's going to... He will do things to help you to understand that. But if you are, are so pridefully willful that you refuse to repent, humble yourself and, 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 and turn back to God, uh, God lets you go. That's, that's the punishment. So does that, does that make sense? It, it, it is a fine line. I understand. It's, it's not, you know, really... It, 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 there's... Uh, it might even be a little gray area in there, <laughs> right? But it's it's you know there there is a line. And the thing we need to know is how do we keep so tightly tuned that we don't miss that? That's why it says pray constantly. That's exactly why. Right? See, yeah. If there is a lapse in our prayer, now then keep in mind prayer is predominantly listening to God. It is not telling God what to do because. <laughs> That doesn't work, right? God's not going to change this for you. You're not that important. So, so this is this is what He's going to do. So we have to understand that about God. See, prayer is is relationship. If I want to get to know you, how am I going to do that? I have to spend time with you. There is no other way. Even if you have written an autobiography, I could read that, but it's still not going to give us a chance to interact. It's not going to give me a chance to ask questions. So, so prayer allows all of that to happen. The, the entire relationship with God happens in prayer. So what it's saying is we should be in that constant relationship 24 hours a day. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. That's why I believe a number of, of people in the Bible had these God dreams, like you know, Mary and Joseph, Joseph, you know, go, go to Egypt, quick, <laughs> right? In a dream. Because you know, when the last... Thing in your mind is God. Yeah, you know, thank you, God, for the day I've had, and you know, now I lay me down to sleep and, and all that. And uh, if I wake up tomorrow, then great, I'll love you and serve you then. And so, if the last thought in our brain is God, 
that will infect our, our dreams. And it, it keeps, keeps the, the, the channel open. That conduit that God speaks to us even while we're sleeping. And then you wake up in the morning all rested and refreshed and okay, let's do it again. Uh, so constant does mean literally 24 hours, but it means more listening to God, a, a humble listening to God rather than barking orders at God and you know, go fix this and I can't believe you allow that to happen and all that kind of stuff. God's like, well, I'm not doing anything about that. But when we come in a relationship, you know, two people that, that want to work on the problem, God says, I, I will make that happen. But you can't stand off to the side and be critical and expect me to just jump in there and fix things for you. I'm not going to do it. Because I, I, I've sort of discovered that the answer to most of our prayers is, okay, I need you to go do that. <laughs> you know, I've actually placed that on your heart so that you will realize you need to be an active agent in this person's life, in this situation, in whatever that, that, that may be. But again, that's the way God, God is. And this, this really shows us the, the heart and the nature of God. And it's not easy to understand, though, because it's different than, than the way we think, or the, certainly different than the way we would like it to be. But if, if, if God becomes like we want him to be, God will become like Dagon, Baal, uh, you know, and a God of some other religion, because that's exactly what those gods were. They were, they were man-made the way we want it to be, much like Scientology. <laughs> I mean, that was, you know, totally a man-made religion, and the you know, guy said, okay, this is the way I like it to be. And that's why all the movie stars are, are in, in Scientology. Go. When, when you say, it, it says in the Bible, pray constantly. I, I, and thank God for everything. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to respond to that one. Um, well, I don't pray constantly, but I, I'm aware. I guess what I'm saying is I'm aware of the right thing. Is yes. that? Is no, that? No, I, I think yes. So it, it's not. It, yeah, it's not. And then if I step out of line or I say something and I and I know that it wasn't the right thing, then my heart is const, is immediately convicted. And it's like right. oh crap. Yeah. No. That 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 means you are in in tune with the spirit. So yeah, it's not not even really a conscious thing. But that's what we call a discipline, a training, that we, it takes years to do that, but that you, you always have like one ear tuned, tuned to God. And again, it's not even so much conscious. It's not, and that's you know, what I mean. 24 hours a day is not God, 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 God. It's right. just, you, you become, first of all, it requires that you know God. Again, the relationship. You, you, I mean, you have to know God, not know about God, know God, know, know what his heart is, know, know what he does, and then that's why it becomes more of an automatic thing for us when we realize that I said the wrong thing, I need to go and apologize for that and ask, ask the Lord to forgive me as well. You know, that, and that's, that was David, a man after God's own heart, because he, he learned to do that. He was in such good relationship with God, he screwed up a lot, but he always came back immediately to God. So yeah, so that, that little, you know, a kind of like a little wispy smack up alongside the head right. is the Holy Spirit smacking you up alongside the head and saying, nah, I shouldn't have done that. And you're smart enough to listen. So yeah, so that's, that's. <laughs> but, so basically then, 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 then trying always to do the right thing is talking with God and the knowledge of it. And then right. when you do step out of line and you're convicted, then that, that is listening. Right. 
Okay. So, and, and, the, sure. and the lesson from what, what we're discovering here is, rather than go off half-cocked and do whatever you want to do, how much smarter it is, God's right there, he's as near as your next breath, stop, do what Dina says, push pause for a second, and ask. And it especially works in interpersonal situations. Especially when you're, you, you think oh, this is going to be a difficult conversation. Sit down for a second. Stop talking and ask God, what should I say? What, what will be a loving response to this person? What will be kind and helpful, redeeming and reconciling? What will help? As opposed to going in, oh, Linda, I can't believe you did that. You're the worst person who ever lived. I can't stand you. You know, you know what that's going to result in, right? So... Why would you want to break that relationship? Don't do those things. This, if you ask the spirit, the spirit would say, "Don't, don't say that." Would say something like, "Yeah, we got we got we got a problem here. We got to work on it." Rather than me exerting my control over a situation, which means by definition I'm not allowing God to control either me or the situation. That's when God says, "Okay, go ahead," and you go running like a bull in a china closet through everybody and wiping people out and everything else, and you expect expect God to bless that. Not going it because we didn't first ask, and that's why then Jesus is asking, "You shall receive." Right? So it's not asking, eh, "When I feel like it, I'll get around to you." It's asking, "You shall receive." Period. Because we are going to the source. So do you not get the sense that God knows what's going to happen tomorrow and the next day? <laughs> right? Since we don't, wouldn't it be smart to go to the one who does? <laughs> I mean, seriously, I mean, is that not the most ingenious thing you've ever heard of? But that's available to us if we will use it. Rather than going the way we want to go and trying to manipulate and control people into the way we want them to be, how much better it is to ask God first. And God will have no problem giving you the answer. Then the fun starts. Once you get the answer, are you willing to do it? Now, sometimes we don't like the answer. I don't want to do that. <laughs> right? But when you do it, it just, it all works out great. It just does because it's God's plan. Not mine, not yours. Just God's. So how's that for an in introduction and segue into chapter 10? <laughs> <laughs> So chapter 10 now is, we, we get to that point where Samuel anoints Saul. Now, the anointing, the, the other word that could be used that means the same thing is, is consecrating. We, we kind of use those words in, in, in interchangeably. Uh, they're very, very similar. Uh, anointing has a slightly different tone to it, but you know, they're, they're both designed to, to uh, commission a person for a specific task. So kings are anointed to be consecrated, commissioned for the specific task of being a king. So uh, a couple weeks ago down at the high school, we had a new Stephen leader, Bill Kleitz. We brought him up and consecrated him. Remember, we came forward and put hands on him and everything. We consecrated him. This is your specific task, right? So now he's, he's not the preacher. Not consecrated to be the preacher. You are you are specifically tasked for this Stephen ministry, nothing else. And what we're going to discover is that's what gets Saul into trouble. He was consecrated for a specific task, and he 
took the liberty of adding something else to it that he shouldn't order. And God said, okay, that's it. <laughs> right? Told you this was going to happen. Now it did. It's fine. We're done here. We'll get to that momentarily. In verses 2 to 7, just to make sure that Saul understands that God is involved in this entire process. Now again, he's, he's, not, he's not saying, I'm blessing this. He's not saying that this is what I really want. But God is nonetheless involved. Samuel tells him the three things that will happen to confirm his consecration. So just Saul, so you know that God is, is with this. And previous chapter... The Holy Spirit came on Saul in, in power. Remember that? We're going to come across that again in this chapter or the next chapter. Um, you know, it's going to happen again. So God is integral to this process. God's not manipulating and massaging the process, but God is involved in it. And we'll learn something very important here in just a minute. But he wants Saul to simply know that this isn't a random thing. And even though it's the people who are making this happen... I want you to know I am here still steering the car, <laughs> right? My foot is still on the gas, and I am still helping things to happen the way. So three things are going to happen. You're going to get a confirmation that, remember the whole donkeys? You know, he's out looking for, for, for donkeys. So, all right, the donkeys, you will discover, will be found. Number two, you're going to meet three men with goats, bread, and wine. And they will offer you some. You are to accept their gift. Third thing is, you will come across a group of prophets praising God with instruments. And that's probably the part that really got Saul. Because as he's walking along, boom, the Holy Spirit comes on him in power, and he joins right in prophesying with these other prophets. But all three things of those happen in order, just as Samuel told him they would. Verse 6 in specific now. The Spirit of God will come upon you in power, and you will prophesy with them. Now, we've talked about this a thousand times. I cannot say it enough. This is further evidence that the Holy Spirit has always been. Always active, always in the same role the Holy Spirit is today. But isn't it interesting? Come upon you in power. Was that not the exact same statement Jesus says at the Last Supper? That the Holy Spirit will come upon you in great power. Right? And sure enough, on Pentecost it did. So, it's... The Spirit is always here, but occasionally there are special bursts of this power. This is one of those occasions. The description of what, what, Paul, what, what Saul is experiencing is, is very similar to what the early church experienced. This, yeah, I mean, they had fire dancing above their heads and whole nine yards, but it manifests itself in, in power. And this Spirit in Saul, here's the beautiful part. Look at verse 6. You will be changed to a different person. What do you think that means? Attitude. Okay, your attitude will change. For the better or for the worse? <laughs> well, Holy Spirit, hopefully for the better. Okay, just, just wanted to clarify that one, the trick question. Yeah, so, so you will be changed for the better. Okay, what, what other words would you use? What... What does that mean? You will become a, you will be changed to a different person. Your countenance. Your, your countenance. Not like born again. Well, I think you're on the right track. Yes. Yeah. Different. Different in that sense. So not just a little different. So you're. 
what other word would you use for, for countenance? Your, 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 yeah, your, your external, the, the way you, you present yourselves. I mean, and can, can you not tell that? At a distance from somebody, somebody who's scowling and arms crossed, or, you know, like that, I mean, suggests something internal. By the same token, somebody who's open and, and, and smiling and, you know, bright-eyed and the whole nine yards suggests something else. Um, so I will turn you into a different person. Um, but yeah, the, the born-again angle, I think, is, is, is critical. And that was the part Nicodemus was having such a hard part with. You know, you mean, I got to become new? Yeah. Well, in fact, let's let's look at a couple of these. Go to go to Second Corinthians five. That being the New Testament. Second Corinthians five. Second Corinthians five. Second Corinthians five sixteen. going to read a couple of verses here just follow along starting in 16 so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view though we once regarded Christ in this way we do so no longer therefore anyone who therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation the old has gone the new has come all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Okay? So, the sign of our, let's go with the passage we, we used last, last week in church, we, when we belong to Christ, there must be, let's use the word countenance, there must be a countenance shift. It must be readily apparent that we are new. You cannot say, I believe with all my heart in Christ and continue to act the exact same rotten way you've always acted. That's all there is to it. Listen to what Donna says. Right? When you're operating now with the Holy Spirit, you'll be changed for the better. So rather than all the other, and there's a thousand one yucky things that we should not be doing, that we used to do, that now we make the decision to not do those anymore. People will, must see that in us. So again, the, the definition of the word saint in the Bible is not a dead Christian. It is an alive Christian. And the word literally means different or distinguishable. You are different enough from the culture around you that others can, are you ready for this? They can tell you are Christian. They should not have to come up and quiz you they should be able to tell at a distance. So it might be the halo we have above our head, Judy. I'm not sure what they see. Uh, a little brightness in a dark room full of dark people. You stand out like a sore thumb. There's just something about the way we are to look that is readily, readily apparent to others. And again, I will say that is why you will never see me with a clergy collar out in public. I don't wear one here at church either. But you will never see me doing that because I refuse to advertise with my countenance who I am before you can see really who I am. That actually covers up who I am. 
Jesus dressed like a real, a real person. I dress like a real person. And if you can't tell I'm Christian, that's not your fault. That's mine. I need to do something with me. I told you a story a long, long, long time ago. Apparently, you don't have to, uh, to see a Christian to, to know that. I, 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 we had, I can't remember who it was now, 10 years ago. Uh, somebody up in Altoona Hospital uh, thought maybe came home on Saturday. So Sunday morning I get here and I'm working on my prayer list. And thought, well, let me just call and either confirm the person is still there so I can accurately report in church you know, where this person is, or whether they're home or whether they're in a hospital. And so I call up and ask, and apparently uh, the person didn't fill out the form right in the HIPAA laws that gives permission for information to be shared. So legally they can't do that. And uh, so I asked, you know, Linda Ford's in the hospital. Uh, you know, can you tell me if, 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 if she's still there? And the lady on the other, other end said, uh, no, I'm not supposed to tell you, but, but yes, she is. And I said, well, it's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm her pastor. And she said, yeah, I know. <laughs> what? <laughs> that was the exchange, like two sentences. She had no problem breaking the law, <laughs> knowing that it was safe with me. Who does that? Right? So long before we get in the room, people should be able to look off. Right? The Roman historian, the heathen, looks out at the at the, the in town square Rome and writes in his 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 uh, history book, his journal. Saw two two Christians getting together out of the mass of a thousand people there was able to find those two people. My, how those Christians love one another, he writes. They're different than all these other thousand people. It's distinguishable. It's easy to tell. That needs to be us. So we need to become new creations. Now, that's real easy for people who have known you all your life. Family, long-time long friends, that they knew you when you weren't a Christian, they should be the first ones in your face saying, what's changed? What, what's different about you? Know, you're, you're way different than you were last week. What, what happened? So that, that's the confirmation that we are, in fact, the new creation. If you're able to accept Christ and just slide through life with nobody ever, ever questioning you, <laughs> that's not a good sign, right? It's not that the goal is to be offensive. The goal is simply to be different. If we live with people who are, who are gossiping and backbiting and full of dissension and fits of rage and all that type of stuff, and we used to be that way along with them, I mean, that's what you associated in. It would be easy to assume that's the way you were, but now you are different. You're not even really saying that's bad, you shouldn't do that. You're just not engaging in those activities anymore. That's going to create all kinds of red flags in their lives. And they're going to start asking you, what in the world is, have you done? What is so different about you? Well, I found Christ. Let me tell you about it. Right? There's your open door. So, but first and foremost, yes, we must become a new creation. Now, born again, identical terms, right? You must be born again. You must start over again. But the best part is the old has gone, you see? You, you can't be new and keep carrying the old. The new has come. You can't be both. You can't be old and new simultaneously. You will either be old or new. Choice is yours. Flip forward a little bit further to Galatians 6. Galatians 6. 
like just about the next book. Galatians 6, 15. Now, this is Paul again. Last words in his letter. Galatians 6, 15. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. So all the other external trappings that we use to tell people who we are mean nothing. What matters is the heart, your mind. What you know, internally, because that's where the spirit is, who you are now. The joy. Oh yeah, joy is supposed to just be coming out of our ears and every pore and, and every part of us. So it's, see, what counts is a new creation. Nothing else counts. Nothing. Once we know that we belong to Christ, yes, we will want to become these new creations. We will freely accept the fact that the Spirit now has great power in our lives and we will simply follow wherever the Spirit leads. So, that's what, here in Samuel, that's what God is saying to Saul. You will become a different person. By definition. Now, that basically means I really didn't care for you much the way you were. But I'm not going to just tweak you a little bit. Because before, your life was based on sin. And I, your God, do not like sin. That is incompatible with my nature. So you and I can't be one while you're still freely choosing to sin. You're a new creation. The power of sin now is dead in you. You have crucified that on the cross. Now, let's move on. You are a new creation. The old is past. The new has come. Now, that's what is said to Saul. We still have the rest of the Israelite people that we have to deal with. Go to verse 19. And God makes it clear now his understanding of this whole king situation. God says to the Israelites, you have rejected me. I who have taken care of you all these years, I have done all this for you. You are rejecting me. But notice what God says in verse 19. He speaks in the present tense. God does not say, look at all that I did for you. Look what he says. Who saves you out of your calamities and distress. Present tense. Even though you rejected me, I am still saving you from your calamities and your distresses. So God's not pleased with the decision. But God is not abandoning these people. We're going to talk about grace here in a, in a little bit. But I wanted to point that out. This is present tense. So God's not saying, well, when you guys get your act together and, and come back to me, then I will, I, I will take care of your calamities and distresses. He's saying, right now, today, even before you knew it, I am saving you. You're trying to hang yourself, but I'm trying to save you. <laughs> Let's work together on this. Verses 20 and 21. The people now understand that God is mad at them. So, they respond by, okay, let's keep going in the process. 
rather than, than putting the brakes on there and saying, all right, God, we understand we have, we have, we have sinned against you. The smart thing to do would have been, what do, we do, what do we need to do to make this right? And God would have said, well, let's, let's back off of this king thing. I got that coming in a couple generations, but not right now. Y'all aren't ready for it. But rather than that, God, we know you're mad at us. We're just going to keep going anyway, because this is what we want to do. You see, we want to be like other nations. So the, the process was, now again, Israel is 12 independent tribes that only got together for the purpose of war when one tribe was, was attacked. That was the only thing they had in common. So we're going to switch from that confederacy to a single monarch over 12 tribes. So what they decide to do is we all need a say in who this new king is going to be. See, God hasn't revealed, he revealed to Samuel, but no one else, who they're going to pick. So they go through a simple process, kind of like what we do with our elected officials. You start with a large group and you whittle them down. Right? You, 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 you have a primary and you know, bring the field down to a manageable number. Then you have the election. Uh, that field of two, three, four, five, or whatever it is, we're, we're picking one. And that's what they do here. So 12 tribes are all bringing their candidates or whatever, and the whatever group is responsible, you know, they're all voting and everything, and it just goes one after the other, the other, and it just whittles down and whittles down until finally the one selected is Saul. <clears throat> Didn't see that coming. That's who they pick. After they pick Saul, now look, they're willing to ask God where Saul is, <laughs> since they can't find him, right? So you see, that's, that's what happens when we go our own way. When we, when we don't pray constantly, when, when we're, we're only occasionally connecting with God. That's the natural outcome. We think we can take care of ourselves until we get into a situation that we can't take care of ourselves. Then we expect God to be right there ready, and God, you better be ready to do everything I tell you to do. That's, that's how it works. And that's what these people are doing with God now. But God said, eh, this is a game we'll play for a while. So he tells them where, where, where Saul is hiding. Hiding in the baggage. Well, these people are traveling great distances, so there was a lot, a lot of bags. So he was hiding amongst them. Now, that's odd. <laughs> Precisely, thank you. Why, why, why do, there's no right or wrong answer here. Why, why would you think Saul is hiding? Shame. Shame? Could be. Well, he, he, he had been a sinner, but just remember, he just had that power of the Holy Spirit come on him, and he's, he's prophesying, so he's really getting connected with God. He probably didn't know what was happening to himself. Yeah, this is all strange and new, and an insecurity. Yeah, yeah, he's kind of twitching at this point, and uh, so it wouldn't be humility. It it could be. I wouldn't rule that out entirely. Until we look at other famous biblical hiders, I can think of at least three people biblically who hid from God. Can you think of who they were? Adam. Adam. Adam and Eve. That's one. Jonah. Jonah. Gideon. Gideon. Thank you. I, I couldn't think of any others. There might be others. Zacchaeus. No, he's hiding 
Yeah, he was just that. That, that was observational, not that. <laughs> so, in all those cases, the people are hiding because they don't want to do what God wants them to do. Very well could be, which I, I think lends credence to Linda's idea of uh, humility, humbleness. Um, but like I say, when you look at these other famous hiders, they just didn't want to do what God wanted them to do. Especially Jonah. Oh man, he was he digging his heels in big time, <laughs> right? It's fear too. Yeah, fear of the unknown. Uh, but fear. See, the problem with fear is fear conveys a lack of trust in God. So this is a process they're going through, and it could be because Saul realized that God really is not involved in this process. Although he proved earlier that he is in the process by giving him the three proofs, right? Finally concluding with, you will, you will start prophesying with, with these other prophets. So it, it's, a, it's a mixed, mixed up situation. what had been said up till now and he knew what he saw up till now but if they could find him then it really must be for real and which which would go on with Gideon yeah right the fleece test yeah which I still can't believe he got away with that twice uh, <laughs> um, yeah it, it's just it, it's an odd reaction I guess very very strange I mean you know humbleness humility yeah you, you don't want to be you know on a pedestal or you know certainly I mean obviously being a king is very public position and everybody sees what you're doing so who knows what what was in his mind but it's it's just it's an odd odd reaction that by the way it turns out I think that also adds credence to this was not a good reaction that it wasn't wasn't really all golly gee you know you don't want me do you um, type of thing it's more no I just don't want to do this you know I, because I don't trust God enough to, to help me to do this. Now verse 24, the people say that God is the one who selected Saul. I would expect a few lightning bolts at that point. <laughs> but God said, ah, that's, you know, he just lay, he's just letting it roll off his back at this point. Uh, but what we're going to discover is, and it's going to become very clear it isn't at this moment, but what God is doing is, he is still working with the situation, even though the people don't realize it. They, they kind of do. Well, God selected you, Saul. No, he didn't. We selected you. <laughs> right? And again, we're, at, we're, we're demanding God's blessing of this. So God is still in control. So God is saying, okay, you can have a king, but it will be under my terms. I'm not, not letting you go completely. I will not let you run this bus off a cliff. So God is willing to compromise. You want a king? You can have a king. But I will set forth the parameters by which this king will operate. And so you wanted a king like the other nations? Guess what? You ain't getting one. This king will not be like the dictatorial other nations. I will not allow it. So it doesn't matter if you don't understand it or not. I'm simply not going to allow it. I'm the mom. <laughs> right? And I'm putting my foot down here. 
So they go through this very human process of selecting a king. And the last verse, 26, getting into 26 and 27, is, since it's a human process, big shock, some people didn't agree with the selection. They were troublemakers. That's the word my Bible is. Troublemakers. Talking in the, in the dark alleys, you know, and just saying, oh, that's all. He's a bad guy. I never should have picked him. You know, what are you people thinking? Yeah, I will oppose this king at, at, at every point. So there are some in Israel who have no confidence in Saul. But we're going to see how things unfold here. And God's going to even take a more active role here at one point. And so the bottom line is, this chapter should show us that even in the worst of times, even when it we don't even, we're not praying constantly, we're not even praying at all. We couldn't care less whether God is here. God is still there. That's some good news. And all the more willing God is then when we finally do turn around to him. It's a very fast, easy process because God is right there. It's not like, okay, I really, I'm ready to come back to you, God. And God gets back to us and said, well, you have to make an appointment. It'll be three months till I see you. God is right there with open arms. Remember the image last week? You know, God is always walking around you like this. Not 100% around you to control you, but he's, he's protecting you on three sides at least. So that as soon as you turn around, boom, you're right there in God's face. That's how, how near he is and how much he loves us. Well, there's chapter 10. Other thoughts, comments, questions on a fun, fun chapter. Yeah, could you talk a little bit about this prophesying they were doing? Yes. Prophesying, isn't that telling what's going to happen? There must be more. Yes. Uh, the, the biblical concept of prophesying could entail a future event, but not strictly. It is more simply speaking for God. And sometimes God does want you to know what's going to happen in the future. Sometimes not. Sometimes God will just want you to know what's happening in the present. So a prophet is... Uh, it's really close to preaching. So preaching, I'm not, I'm not telling you what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm simply telling you what you need to do today. Yeah, because the Word of God says that. So, yeah... They're very, very similar in that regard. It could have a future connotation to it, but not, not strictly. So the, the difference then is a, a true prophet of God shares whatever God wants you to know. But we'd like to know the future. And that's why the Bible, God, is so against anyone who practices the occult. Fortune tellers, uh, you know, palm readers, uh, 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 tarot cards, you know, because they're all designed to read the future. And for the most part, God doesn't want you to know. Um, God very rarely, if ever, gives specific days. In a week, this is going to happen. He just says it's going to happen. Uh, revelation, second coming, all those things. I'm not telling you when it's going to happen. It's just going to happen sometime. When I say it's time. So... I'm telling you, it's going to happen. It will happen. Your job now is just to be faithful today. I'll take care of tomorrow. You just got today. Jesus says, be ready. So live the Christian life today in case Jesus comes back today. Or in case the bus hits you. 
be always be ready for that. Yeah. Could it be praise? Yes, because that's a that's a current. Yes. So I, I think if you look at the prophets, a lot of what they're saying is current. You know, you need to praise God, and but then again, a lot of what the prophet said was was future oriented as well. So it's it, it's not either or; it's both and. I guess is what I'm saying. So yeah, yeah. Don't don't limit yourself with a prophet simply predicting the future. A lot of it has to do with. Okay, think of it this way: the prophet prepares you today for the future that he's telling you is going to come. How do you like that? I just came up with that. Uh, <laughs> um, the prophet prepares you today to receive the future tomorrow. So he doesn't, doesn't just say, oh, bad things are going to happen and run around with his hair on fire. He says, okay, that's going to happen. Here's what you need to do today to get yourself ready for that. And sometimes it's, it's a disaster. Sometimes it's the, the prophecy is this will happen. There's no way around it. The end. So what do we do? Well, you make sure your faith is as strong as it possibly be, can, can be today to prepare for that, that disaster that will come, come tomorrow. Yeah. I'm liking that. So, yeah. But again, you know, the, all the other worldly predictors, that's why it's so bad because that is satanic. And some of them, believe it or not, actually do have the ability to tell you the future. But if somebody comes up to you and says, I can really tell you the future, here's what you do. La, 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 la. Yeah, you don't want to hear that. Well, absolutely. You do not want to hear that. Because God has said he doesn't want you to know. If you have to know the future, that is the exact opposite of faith. That's the most unfaithful thing you could ever do. And so that's why it's been a while. We're about due for somebody to predict Jesus' second coming. You know, Harold Camping did it, what, three years ago? Two, two times in one year. Surprise, he was wrong. Uh, uh, but that's why even those you know, supposed Christians, you know, big Christian leaders, if they do that, discredits everything else they've ever said. Because that is so satanic, it's not even funny. The Bible says so. If they knew, knew God in the Bible that well, they wouldn't be doing this. <laughs> right? But I know it. It's a sin to, to spend time, let alone tell others, when, when Jesus is going to return. Because Jesus himself said, I don't know when it's going to be. Jesus can't figure it out. We can't either. He says you can figure out what 666 means. Ain't done that yet. <laughs> right? So if we can't do even what he says we can do, how do we expect to do what, what he says we can't do? So you can get to all the computer programs you want. And that's what these guys do nowadays. And on paper, makes a lot of sense. Very logical. Means nothing. Means absolutely nothing. You were going to say something. Two things. When, when we study scripture, any scripture, I, uh, it, I, it always sticks in my mind that God wants us to see the beauty in the small things in life, mm -hmm. the simple things, and not the big things. I mean, just e everyday life. And I think sometimes we miss the boat. But with saying that, it wasn't until I got older that I started to see what God wanted me to see through his eyes, the beauty in the simplest things in life. So 
is it just, I, I guess what I'm saying is, thank God I didn't die back then, but right. if I would have, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have got it right. And, and I hope I have it right now. I don't know that I do, but I think I do. But is it just like a growing process or, or, or let's, guess, you, let, let's use the biblical word maturing. Okay, but what happens to the ones that don't mature to get to where I was or like... Why? You, okay. What, and then they what, do pass and then they, what, they might not have it right. See, that's... A, that's. Why do you think they don't mature? Anybody want to help her out? They don't want to. Go back to Romans 1. You have the truth in you. You choose to suppress it and exchange the truth for a lie. You're allowed to do that. It's idiocy. But you're allowed to do that. And God will let you do it for your entire life. He will not force you to believe in him. So you simply chose to mature. Others choose to remain infants. But, but when I look around and see so many people and what they put their hopes and their dreams right. in that has no value, that's inanimate objects, right. it disheartens me because right. there's so much beauty in just outside or just looking at the simple things in life. And that's... Yep. That's probably what's so sad. Right. But it's so so clear. That's what Romans 1 also says. Now, this is all abundantly clear. You can't look up at the, at, at the stars at night and not realize there's a God. Absolutely. You, you can't do it. So the only way you can do it is to make yourself believe something else. Suppress the truth and exchange it for a lie. You simply got smart. Oh, I don't know about <laughs> Smarter. <laughs> um, okay. But no. You, I'm not that you, important, remember? <laughs> but you're important enough to realize that old creation way of thinking isn't working. And that's, that's the, the real issue with sin is we try to exert our will against God's. And God, if you had a brain in your head, you would do it my way rather than your way because I'm so much smarter than you. And God says, okay. You, you hold on to that, and we'll, we'll see you in the end. Uh, but yes, a lot of us, I mean, at some point in all of our lives, we were that way. Does that not sound like the mantra we all had at some point? Either as a child, a teenager, I don't know when you, when you accepted Christ, but you know, at some point, and yes, some people don't get it until they're 50, 60, 70, 80 years of age. Some people don't get it until they're on their deathbed. Some people, a lot of people, don't get it, period. Question because I'm not questioning God, but why was I special enough that He gave me the time to get it? See, you're not special enough. You're the same as everybody else. We I know all, I'm we, not special. We, 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 I don't matter. See, see, I'm not in, that important. In, in, in that sense, we all. That's that's why I, I'm using the, the the image of an e, a level playing field. We all have the exact same opportunity. And importance to God. We are all important to God. No one is more important. God plays. It says He has no favorites. So. It may appear as though God really liked Abraham and Moses and David. Only that only it looks that way because they chose to do what God wanted them to do. They had a good relationship with God, whereas the rest of us then grudgingly, uh, jealously look at them and say, "Well, you like them more, God." Now, like it, like it. You know, you got two children, and they, you know, one of them believes that you like the one sibling better than the other. Does that ever happen? Right? It's exactly the same thing. That we are God's children, it'd be real easy to look around. Well, you know, like like Linda a lot better than me. Um, you know, no, we all have the same opportunity to accept Christ. Once we do that, then 
what seems to be exceptional is the way we then freely choose to respond to being a new creation. Then, yeah, some of us do it better than others. But still, it comes down to the acceptance of Christ. And for whatever sincere means you are trying to live that out, God will honor that. And that's why there's not a better heaven. So Moses and David and, and Paul and, and Peter are not, when we all get to heaven, is not going to be, you know, up here somewhere looking down on us and you know, all of that. We're all, we're all going to be in the same place. There's no, there's no better heaven. There's not a good, better, and best heaven. Small, medium, and large. By the same token, the same works for hell. There's not a worser hell. Yeah, hell is just the worst. Isn't it that God judges each of us individually? Yes. I mean, you come to that certain standard, that acceptance, that belief. That you have to do. Everybody has to. After that, I think the <coughs> curve goes as to your rewards and all that stuff, as to how you've taken care of the right. things you're to do. Now, the, there's one other variable. Now, we're all the same in terms of having the Holy Spirit within us, which is trying to lead us to accept Christ. The other variable is we all do have a different mental capability, shall we say. Intelligence, um, whatever. That's, that's where God knows us. And so if God knows that, that you, Judy, just can't, can't do this like Billy Graham then your standard now is what God created you to be able to do. So that if you reject it, then, then you're out. But if you, if you make a sincere effort to do it, and, and even, even if you get frustrated that I can't do what Billy Graham does, but this, this, is, this is the ceiling for me, at least I have achieved that. See, that, that's where Jesus says, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Oh, crap. <laughs> I hate that. Because, but perfect, you have to become what God created you to be. And so each of us, yeah, with all our various talents, uh, with all our various abilities, all our different experiences, all our different life stories, <coughs> you know, God knows all that. So it's, we should not compare ourselves in the Christian faith. Oh, that person has a lot more faith than me. I wish I had faith like that person. That's silly. Don't do that. Instead, God, what do you want me to do? It's just the personal relationship. It's not comparing yourself to others. It's your relationship with Christ. That's what saves you. It has nothing to do with what Kais is doing. Absolutely nothing. It has to do with how I interact with Christ on a day-to-day -day basis. So, yeah, it comes down to my understanding of things. Once I understand it, then the only thing left is my willingness to do as I understand and that's why scripture says that those who, who those of us who are called to do more because God trusts us to know more we are therefore held more accountable so the curve <laughs> the is much tighter for the pastor for the teacher for the Abraham for David for Paul you see so yeah, so there is a great variable in how, how we respond to this. But the thing we all have to share in common is we must respond. And what you do with it from there, that's between you and God.
So it, it doesn't come down to you know how good you are or anything. It comes down to I've accepted Christ, and day by day I'm trying to do what I understand the Holy Spirit is leading me to do. But that's where Paul's body principle comes in. We all do something different. We're all not all doing the same thing. But when we put all our pieces together, I'm doing the best I can, you're doing the best you can, you're doing the best you can, boom, 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 boom. When we put all that together, we are now the body of Christ. And if we all are excelling, then we are an excellent body of Christ in terms of our countenance in the community. So we have an individual countenance, but a church has a countenance as well, an appearance. So do we want our appearance to be open, inviting, and loving, or do we want our countenance to be a bunch of dissension and backbiting and, and hatred? <laughs> See, we have the choice to present ourselves that way. But once we know what the truth is, then we must, we must act that way. If we refuse to act that way when we know it, that's when God, God gets a little miffed at us. That's when the judgment, the wrath, will come upon us. Now, was that one question or two? That was two, but boy, that was pretty deep. It was. No, no, I'm just like, it makes me feel a lot better because I, I hold my, myself to accountability to people that can say, well, go to this scripture and that scripture. And I can't do that. I can tell you the story, but I can't yeah. tell you where it's at. That's how I remember things, you know. And, and I always thought, man, why can't I get this? Or why, why don't I read this and get out of it what you get out of it or what she gets out of it? But now you're just made it better for me that I'm getting out of it what God wants me to get out right. of it. Right. And that's what you'll be held accountable for. And that's, and that's okay. Right. Oh, you made me feel better today. Now, that, 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 that doesn't give you permission to skate, right? No, so, no. But you, you, you do have to, to have a drive. You do have to have a, a, a commitment to this. But again, yeah, you know, just it's the way we're created and just the way our brains work and everything. It's all it's all different. But God God knows what you're capable of and He's trusting you with that. See now if you wouldn't have said that, I would still be <coughs> holding myself accountable by what other people do nope. and act and say. And see that's and that puts a lot of pressure on you to where you fail and you can't measure to the right, that but you see how uh, how evil and satanic that is. That's, oh, that's the devil speaking to you and saying that since you can't be like Billy Graham, you should even stop trying. Oh yeah. And a lot of people do, right? But go back to what you were saying about the, the small things and the big things. You see, that's that's a, a satanic plan as well. That we should only, if you can't do something big, don't do anything at all. It'd be easy to convince ourselves that if you can't be a star, don't do anything. Especially in this culture in which we live right you gotta you gotta be a star on, on on youtube or on stage or something uh and otherwise don't even try and that's why we everybody's so infatuated with hollywood stars and 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 and, and musicians and all of that you know their lifestyle you know we live vicariously through them i don't want to live vicariously through the kardashians right i want to have my own identity in christ not in the kardashians there, I said it. <laughs> um, so, yes. So, do not compare yourself to others. It's, be, yes, if, it's, if your life is all about a, a series of a bunch of little things, golly gee, be content with that. A bunch of little good things is a whole lot better than, than, than a lot of little bad things, right? So, if God is blessing you with those little things, yes, you should be observant of that. You should be thanking God for that. And whatever comes your way, the occasional big thing, whatever. If you never get a big thing, who cares? 
But yes, it's, it, it, it's all in the ability to see. Isn't that what Jesus says? If you, you have eyes to see and ears to hear, you better hear it. You better see it. Right? So he is giving us that through the Holy Spirit. And yes, we, that's our natural response. We, we hear and we see. And then we, we take all that the information and we use it. If we reject it, that's when God gets angry with us. And what we consider a little thing, God may consider a big thing. Like sure thing. Like giving a drink of water to... Yep, a cup of cold water to, to someone in need. Yeah, is worth, worth more than... It's little to us, but... Yep. If God says it's big, it's big. Yep, because that person might have died without that cup of water. Now that that person lives, might become the next Billy Graham. Right? So, and you see, that's, that's why even something as simple as that is an act of faith because we don't know the future. We don't know what's going to happen to that person in the days, weeks, and months, and years to come. But if God says do it, God, you know what's going to happen, what the, all the links in this chain will result in, and that's what we're seeing here. You know, just history unfolding before us. Now, fortunately, we know the end of the story, <laughs> right? But these are the steps to get there, and they look bad. But look how God is able to turn... Turn the bad into good. It just it just works so well. And that's why Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. I got tomorrow. You got today. Take care of today. I'll meet you tomorrow and we'll start over again. That's faith. Be nice to know the future. But then again, I don't think I want to. So, take today. So, if we choose something else... We say, yeah, but I have to know the I have to know the future. And you go and see the palm reader or whatever. That's a complete denial of the Holy Spirit in you. God's not a fan. So my suggestion is don't even read horoscopes for entertainment value, because they are pretty funny. Um, in a general and generic kind of way, but <laughs> So something's going to happen to you today. Oh, gee, that's it came true. Uh, yeah. So yeah, just Try yeah, keep keep yourself from those things because they 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 can have have an impact on you, and you know, you're you we're we're all beyond the age of p playing with Ouija boards, but uh, teenagers, that's what they do. I want to know the future, but unfortunately, those things are literally open like a portal to hell. You're inviting, you're saying, God, I don't I don't want to listen to you. I'm inviting the power of Satan himself to come into my life and reveal the future to me. And God says, okay, I'm out. Now you got this gaping hole in you that Satan would just love to fill. And he will, because you've invited him in. What fun. Ready for chapter 11? We can buzz through this pretty quick. Now, it should be obvious at this point, Saul really does not want to be king. The first time we see him after being consecrated as king, look what he's doing. He's farming. <laughs> he's not king, he's farming. He went back to his old job. Now, how similar is that to Peter and several of the other apostles? They went back to fishing after the after the crucifixion. After Easter. I mean, you can understand it. It's my life. This is what I've always done. 
So what Saul is assuming is I can be a full-time farmer and, and part-time king. Well, we'll fix that. So he's out farming. They find him out in the fields. And the people come to him and say, Holy cow, the Ammonites are ready to attack us from the east. And oh, by the way, the Philistines up in the northwest, they're you know, perching and, and ready to attack as well. King, oh king, what shall we do? Well, I'm going to make, the, make this, this furrow nice and straight and, and, and plant some seed here. No, you've got to be your king. We said we wanted a king, and a king will lead us in battle. That's your first and foremost job. But Saul is even smart enough to realize, I can't fight on two fronts. This is like day one of forming together these 12 tribes into a, a monarchy. Um, we are not organized to do that yet. I cannot fight on, on, on two fronts. So they decide what they're going to do is, well, let's, let's take care of these nasty Ammonites first. So in verse 3, the people of the border city realize they can't win against, against the, 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 the Ammonites. And so they hope that someone will come to deliver them. They hope someone will come to deliver them. They do not send out an email to the other 11 tribes asking for help. Does that not sound strange? This is where I say yes. It's not strange because of the location. This is in the town of Jabesh Gilead. Do you remember what happened in Jabesh Gilead? This is in the tribe of Benjamin. Remember one of the first stories we looked at? The woman was raped and killed in Jabesh Gilead. And when the other 11 tribes showed up and said, give us the men who are responsible for this, we have, we have to institute justice at this point. The rest of the tribe of Benjamin said, no, we won't give them to you. The other 11 tribes says, fine, we will kill all of you. People of Benjamin said, okay. They had a little war. They all got wiped out. But some of them, a few of them, escaped to the woods. Well, obviously, they came back. <laughs> brought some women with them, repopulated, and now the town and the tribe of Benjamin are back up and running again. So they know that the other 11 tribes hate them. They won't ask for help because we know the answer will be no. So they are just hoping against hope that someone will come to deliver them. Now in verse 6, there it is again. The Spirit of God comes upon Saul in power. It just happened in the last chapter. So apparently the Spirit coming in power in the last chapter was a, for lack of a better term, a temporary type thing. A, the, the beginning of this, this, this new person that God was creating. But now it would seem as though this power will be manifest in a more permanent way within Saul. However, we're soon going to discover that Saul is going to reject the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Now, we better talk about this. Is it possible for someone to have the power of the Holy Spirit in them and still reject it? Thank you for not hesitating. That's the definition of sin. So again, it's not like, you know, Reagan has a lot more of the Holy Spirit than I do. 
So no wonder she is such a person of faith. And no wonder that I'm such a screw-up because, you know, she has something I don't. See? Level playing field. We all have the exact same power of the Holy Spirit available to us. So Saul is no different. He can reject the Holy Spirit just the same as any of the rest of us can. But keep in mind, the unforgivable sin is precisely that by Jesus' own definition. It is denying the Holy Spirit. You can't deny what you don't have. So everybody has it. So the, the equal level playing field we're all on is we all have the same basis of judgment. So don't test the theory, but it is possible for you to murder somebody and still go to heaven. A whole bunch of big guns in the Bible did it. I mean, David had Uriah whacked. Moses killed a guy. Paul killed a whole bunch of Christians. I mean, not like you're killing heathens here. I mean, you're killing God's people for crying out loud. That's not good, right? But you see, that was before they became new creations. Remember, the old is past. What do you think that means? You can't say something is past and hold on to it, right? So God says, "I forgive you," and I erase it, and I remember it no more. It is gone. The old is past, literally. And so it is possible to have been a really, really bad person in your former life and now as a new creation in Christ, it's, it's all forgiven. Go ahead, Lois. Something just came into my mind. What about when countries are at war, like World War II, the Korean War, Vietnam War, when our boys went over and killed men? Mm -hmm. How they... How does God judge that when he, they kill another person? Biblically, that's a... There are different rules for warfare, mostly because the, the sixth commandment is thou shalt not murder. It's not kill, it's murder. And murder has the connotation of premeditation. I know, I don't like you, I will murder you. War is you're, you're killing anonymous people. You're defending yourself. Right. So that's... The, the rules are, are, are completely different with that, and, and yes, that is warranted by, by God. Uh, because otherwise, you're basically saying, um, I'm not going to fight you, so by all means, come over and, and take over our whole country and kill us all if you want. So yes, we, we must defend ourselves um, without sinning. So yes, there, there, is, there is a line there. So... You don't fraternize with the enemy, get to know them, and then say, well, that one guy, I really don't like him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to murder him tomorrow, right? So, you know, you, when you, in, in war, you're, you're shooting, you know, 100 yards away. Right. But again, you know, that's the knowledge of God. Yeah. So the devil will try and make you feel guilty about that, but God says, no, I don't want you burdened with, with guilt. God, God got this, and if, if we did sin, then we can be forgiven for that. So there's no single sin that is unforgivable. The only unforgivable thing is a life lived denying the Holy Spirit. But if you're denying the Holy Spirit, then yes, you will murder people, and you will rob banks, and you'll jaywalk, and spit on a sidewalk, and do all kinds of other things that thou shalt not do. But, no, none of those specifically are the unforgivable sin. But you deny God, you suppress the truth, you exchange the truth for a lie, and then you're on your own. So 
So it's basically, God, I don't care what you have to say. I will go do whatever I want to do. So it is possible for us to decide at any point in our lives that we deny the Holy Spirit. You can be a good Christian for 50 years and wake up one day and say, no, that's all fairy tale. I don't believe that anymore. So just because you're a Christian for 50 years doesn't mean you're allowed to skate for 50 years and deny God. Again, it's constant prayer. Not pray for 50 years and then quit. It's constant your entire life. So you simply choose to deny it. Now, remember last chapter, the troublemakers? We, we ended chap, ch chapter 10. Troublemakers come back again in, in verses 12 and 13. Because now, the, now that they've won this battle, and they believe Saul won it for them, although when you look at it, it was really God. I'm <laughs> just saying. Um, but nonetheless, Saul stood in the place where he was supposed to stand and did what he should have done. Therefore, Saul, you have won this battle for us. And we remember those troublemakers, those people who would not, would not support you from the beginning. And the people are saying, let's round them up, bring them before you, and Saul, you have them all executed. But Saul refuses to have them killed. Now, what kind of response is that? Is that a good response or a bad response, first of all? Okay, it's, it's a merciful response. So, uh, can you think of another good, good Christian word we would use for that? I'm thinking of a five-letter word that starts with G. Grace. Thank you. Uh, it's, it, 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 see how we think alike? Uh, it's, it, it, it's a graceful response. I mean, gra grace is it, it's a free gift, especially to a person who doesn't deserve it. See, God did not wait for us to get to a certain point in terms of sin before Jesus came. In fact, he waited until we were drowning in sin at the worst time in history. Well, that'd be a good time for Jesus to come because that will show these people that they can't earn this. They, they don't, certainly don't deserve it, but nonetheless, I give it to them free anyway. The only issue is, will we accept it? So, if, you, if Saul kills them, there's no chance for them to become new creations in Christ or their understanding just to be a new person at that point. So if I kill you, you lose that opportunity. So you may never agree with me. You may never like me. You may, you may disagree with everything I say. That's okay. But I'm not going to kill you. That's incredibly merciful. Incredibly graceful. And notice what Saul does here at the end. He doesn't take credit for the victory. He gives God the credit for the victory. Now, it would be great if we could stop the story of Saul right there. Because <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that's exactly the way it should be. That's what we would expect the king, a man of God, to be. Exactly that. Yeah, I'm no warrior. I'm a farmer. But I will lead your people into battle, God, because I know you are the one really leading when it's all said and done and we win the victory, I will give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory. Thank you very much. Done. Wouldn't that be great? Now that's going to change your next chapter. <laughs> and we will get to that next week. But that was a good and lively conversation we had today. 
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.